Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal in our downtown studios in Providence. I am joined on this edition by the sports director of ABC6 and the weekend co-host of Cordishian Coit on WEI Providence, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how we living? <laughs> Good, Bill. What's going on, man? I know you love my intro. I know. <laughs> I, I try, to, try to make it a little extra special for you. <laughs> well, you always ask me how we living, and... Uh... I think we're we're living busy right now because there is there is a lot going. My head's been spinning the last couple of weeks, but you know what? I'm very grateful for it this year because we have a lot of stuff back, and that's a great thing. Yeah, we have a big crossover going on right now between high school playoffs, whether that's football or soccer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just had Eric Rubin here. Just had Eric Rubin here in the studio, uh, you know, previewing high school Super Bowls coming up. Um, you know, we've got college soccer going on, NCAA tournament, uh, college football wrapping up here potentially. You or I could play on uh, if they win at Elon what on Saturday. What a story that would be. In contention for their first playoff berth since 1985. And obviously college basketball quite heating up, and, and that is our primary mission, and that is why we are here uh, to discuss college hoops. Uh, we have no shortage of, of places to start. Um, I wonder maybe what your preference might be in terms of where we should dive in on, on the pod. Ooh, um... Interesting. You know what? Let's start here. I'm going to start off with the team that has the largest average margin of victory in the state of Rhode Island of 38 points per game. Ooh. The Rhode Island women. Okay. There we go. Bill. Wow. Wow, I was right. <laughs> wow. Let's start there. Tammy Reese has got herself a squad. She is. We, we talked about a preseason. She's built a squad. And holy cow. I mean, the average, like I said, 38 points per game. It came, that average margin of victory came way down by beating Providence by just a mere 13 points. Just a mere 13 points. Tammy Reese is a serious person, and you or I looks like a serious threat at this point. Wow. Uh, Their most recent 66-53 at Providence on Wednesday night. Uh, Why is that final score significant, Coit? Because last year, Providence beat you or I by 26. Yep. You're talking about a 39-point reversal here in one season. Uh, You're talking about a program that historically has one NCAA appearance, has been a complete flop in recent years. Now, all of a sudden, Tammy Reese has them 4-0. Largest margin of victory in program history when they blew out Merrimack on the opening night of the season. Uh, representative talent at all positions. The Rams look like a real problem going forward. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. And it's going to be, like you said, there's talent at every position, so there's going to be players that step forward different players every night and we saw it with with the pc game it was dolly karens she stepped forward and then i mean des elmore was really good in that game and then you're going to have nights where emmanuel tahan's going to step forward like there is an oh by the way you know they took chanel williams from pc and she's one of their guards at uri now like they they have talent everywhere they've really assembled a heck of a squad here uri managed to win at providence with tahan the co a 10 player of the year last year scoring one point in the game. There you go. Des Elmore had 15, 17 rebounds and 7 assists. Nearly messed around for an ice cube. <laughs> Dolly Karen's off the bench. 21 points. A game high. 5 for 8 from 3. In 27 minutes. Pretty good shooting. Yeah. To bring in. Pretty darn good. The yeah. Rams are 9 for 19 from 3. Um, you know They hold Providence 
to 43% shooting from the field, but two for 14 from three. Uh, they outscore Providence by 21 at the three-point line. That's the difference in the game. Um, but you look at URI, Cody, and, and you look at them last year. They were 0-4 in the non-conference. It was very unconventional, of course. You're talking about a COVID year, no summer. Um, you know the roster was nowhere near as talented one through thirteen or fourteen as it is now, uh, but you're looking at the Rams going into Saturday hosting Princeton, who are the Ivy League favorites, um, and all of a sudden that is now an NCAA tournament resume game, which wow. just just the <laughs> fact that we're having these conversations about the URI women, um, something that that I never foresaw as recently as four or five years ago. But when you hire a coach like Tammy Reese who has that it, that certain something that, that some college coaches have, is able to make certain demands of the players and, to the players' credit, have them respond the way they have, um, you know, have them compete the way they do. Uh, very interesting team to watch going forward this season. Yeah, this is a heck of a year so far for Rhode Island Athletics. You just mentioned the football team, too. The fact that you, the way you just said it is perfect with the football team, too. The fact that we're even having the conversation of them potentially being in the FCS playoffs is incredible to me. I've been here almost eight years in this market now, Bill. That, that conversation's never come up. No. Not at all. Never no. thought about that. No way. But the patience that they've had building up that program – the job that Jim Fleming has done to recruit talent in here to get them to that point and that level and competing in the CAA, you know, that's it. That's a huge deal. And they've got a real find here with Tammy, with her energy, with the way that she has recruited talent. And it's funny, Bill and I have talked about this, I think, a little bit before about the fact that Tammy came in. She she recruited internationally, mm-hmm. you know, with Fapasi and and with Tahan and. You know, brought in some of those players, and that was something that I brought this up before, similar to what I saw with Richard Barron up at Maine when they were building that women's program back up. The difference now is the transfer portal is way more wide open than it was when I was up in Maine 10 years ago. Yes. Way more wide open. So you can couple the international recruiting with the transfer portal, which is exactly what they've done, and all of a sudden you can assemble a team like this and oh boy, you're you're dangerous. The the fact that you get four grad transfers to come in, Des Elmore is one of them. She's an all big east player last year. Chanel Williams is another. She fills a need at, at point guard. The fact that those players are now selecting your program for their last year of college, the fact that they see your program as one that could make an NCAA tournament, that could develop them into WNBA players or, or high-level pros overseas. Um, I think that says a lot about where URI is currently um, yeah. and how far they've come, you know, from recent seasons. Uh, you know, and I, I would say, you know, if you're a Ram fan at this point, these are the best of times. Yeah. Try to enjoy them. Um, you know, no telling how long they'll last or how much better it will get. Um, you know, I know Tammy has big goals. She talks about UConn and, and South Carolina as models. Um, will you or I eventually be the number one team in the country and, and you know, go to 13 trade Final Fours and whatever else? I have no idea. It's very <laughs> unlikely, of course. But the fact that you have those aspirations and that those are your models and, and that those are the standards you would like to set um, – and you're going to be very demanding of your players to reach those standards, I think it's a wonderful thing. It's great. It really is. And, and to have a, a healthy program like that is, uh, 
it just makes it it elevates the school it elevates the athletic programs the more healthy programs that you have you know it, it uh it makes it reflects really well on on what you've got and i i I say that just sitting here thinking like last night, you know, we're out and, you know, Ian Steele, my partner in Channel 6, is out shooting the the PC men's basketball game. But I was out last night at PC shooting the men's soccer game, the NCAA tournament game. Right. And that's a program that's elevated itself. And you look around and you say, wow, you know, PC's got this program doing well at men's soccer and, you know, ice hockey and and men's basketball. The brown women's soccer Women's soccer. two-time Ivy League champs. Exactly. Like, you go to these different schools, you see these programs elevate themselves. I think think Bryant is hosting the the women's volleyball NEC championship this weekend. Like, that's... All of these different programs, it's like it reflects really, really well. And so the more that you can elevate yourself and have that high profile, the better. And, and so far, the sheer roadie women's basketball is doing that. Yeah. Uh, Providence in that game, Mary Baskerville, 15 points and 11 rebounds. She was the best player for the Friars. Uh, 21 turnovers for Providence really hurt against yeah. nine assists. You, you just cannot give up the ball that much. But that speaks to the intensity that your eyes playing with on defense. Um, you know, and obviously the Rams had 12 steals in that game. Uh, they are not going to make it easy for you. Uh, a couple Ivy League tests coming up for you or I next week. Uh, as I said, they play Princeton on Saturday at the Ryan Center. That's a 1 o'clock tip. Um, should be a really interesting game yeah. against the Tigers. Uh, and then they have Harvard on Tuesday night. At 6 o'clock at the Ryan Center. Uh, next weekend, they will go to the Cavalier Classic. Tammy Reese will go back to Virginia. That's her alma mater. Uh, they will play the Cavaliers on Black Friday at noon. Uh, that'll be a really good test against an ACC opponent. Um, you know, So you look at the URI women, and, and you look at the start that they're off to, and they were predicted to play at or near the top of the A-10, and it's nice to see them doing that. Yeah. Uh, here in the early going, that will certainly be something that we will be monitoring here on the pod. Uh, Cody, you are one for one at the plate, so pick our next explanation here. <laughs> well, if we uh, if we do the normal, uh, if I'm building a sports cast for the evening and I do my transition, I'd probably transition. You mentioned you know how URI's uh, women's team was playing good defense, and I get to see some pretty good defense out of the URI men's team. Okay, this week against Boston College, so I guess we'll transition to the Rams and uh, they're off to a 3-0 and start for the first time under David Cox which is good um, yeah I got there for the second half against BC Bill I didn't see many field goals <laughs> nope but that's the thing Coach Cox was pleased after the game because he said it doesn't matter we make you know four field goals in the second half okay fine we played good defense we were ahead and if you have a, a if you have the ability to play that kind of defense and you've got the Mitchell twins combining for ten blocks. Like that's that's a pretty good recipe. You will find the offense at some point. Uh, you or I three and 59 win over Boston College at home. Uh, as I wrote for the next day's journal, Coity, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. For me, if you're a college basketball coach, you look at three uh, three and zero. Oh, that's about as sexy as you can get. Of course, uh, does not matter the the manner or style of the result. Um, and I look at your eye so far, Coity, and, and I think that it is a complete reverse of what we saw from them last year. How many times did we sit here last season and say that your eye is too easy to play against? That they don't necessarily make it difficult for you. They don't necessarily make you uncomfortable in any way. Um, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily the defensive principles that carried them to two NCAA tournaments. 
I think they're getting back to those. Yeah. That was a stated goal for David Cox at the start of the season. Through three games, I think they've followed through on that. Uh, you look at them defensively right now. Teams are shooting 29.4% from two-point range. That's number two in the nation. Teams are having 34% of their two-point attempts blocked. That's number one in the nation. So if you're talking about URI, it starts on the interior with Mikhail Mitchell. Had eight block shots the other night against Boston College. Only one player in URI history has had more in a single game. That's Hassan Martin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Only one other player, aside from Hassan, has blocked eight shots in a game. That's Kenny Green. So you're getting an idea of what sort of rim protector that guy is. He's the number four individual shot blocker in the country right now. Uh, Antoine Walker is in the top 70. Makai Mitchell's in the top 120. So you've got guys, they're three primary front court guys, making it really difficult for you in the paint. Boston College the other night was 11 for 44 from two. Just nothing easy at the rim. It, to beat URI at this point, you're going to need to make a bunch of threes and, and hope because they're just not going to allow you to score it at the rim. Um, and to your point earlier about their defense, they had a nine-point halftime lead. They didn't have a field goal for the first nine minutes of the second half. By the time Jalen Carey scored on a drive to the rim, they led by 11. Mm-hmm. They somehow led by two more points despite not having a field goal. And I think when you go back to those NCAA teams, they were not pretty offensively at times. They struggled offensively at times. They struggled to score consistently. But they were able to play through those stretches because they defended with such determination. And you're starting to see some pieces of that here with these guys through three games. David Cox said at the beginning of this season that we want to reestablish the culture of URI basketball. What is that culture? Was my thought in my head. I said, okay, they want to reestablish a culture. What is that culture? Well, we're seeing it and we're being reminded of it. They are a grinded out kind of team that is defensively really tough to get to the basket against. They're really tough to score against, as you said. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to have a team that comes in and rains threes. Mm-hmm. That's and look at a team that that had some success before. Then we'll get to them a little later in the podcast. But a team that had some early success against them that does shoot the three well was Bryant and sort of fizzles out. It was Bryant, right? Right. And that's you know that issue we'll bring up with Bryant, but. That was a team that it can make a lot of... Th- if they had Peter Kiss on the floor, I wonder what would have happened. But we'll see. Uh, but uh, URI is reestablishing its culture. And the players, so far, it seems, are really buying into that. And really, the thing with that is it gives you and your players an identity. When you have an identity for your team, especially early in a season, players buy into it. Players have roles. We talked a little bit about this with Providence, you know, on the preseason podcast. When you have those sorts of things, it allows players to settle into those, to to really refine those roles, to work hard at them. And so you're seeing that, I think, with URI a bit, especially defensively. The offense will come. They will find it. There'll be nights where Jeremy Shepard's going to shoot well. They have a guy that's going to hit big shots for them, clearly in Ishel Amin. Yeah. He's hit two big threes already this season yeah. in, in big spots, yep. and he has no problem doing it. Nope. So they have an identity so far, and that's a good thing. And I think it also, the identity and you know that being established – you can see it in the box score in the way that the coaching staff is running this team on the floor right now. They got a rotation. 
Bill. Yes. They have a rotation. They have nine guys yes. that they've been playing consistently. That's right. Nine guys. That's it. And that's that comes with, okay, we figured out what we want to do. Maybe that changes during the season. Who knows? You always make tweaks and whatnot. But so far, these nine guys are the guys that it seems like they're going to run with here. Yeah, this is this is just from an operational standpoint. This is just much more efficient than it was last year. Um, you know, in terms of as you said, settling on a rotation, clearly defining expectations for your players. You you are you are a sports director. Ian Steele, a self starter, wonderful guy, would be perfectly capable of running his own department. But he works for you. Mm-hmm. You lay out certain expectations for Ian. You make it clear. You say this is what I need. This is when I need it. It's effective in that way. You guys work great together. Mm-hmm. You have interns who you've put into other jobs, you know, elsewhere, who you've trained in a certain way and said, this is what we do. This is what we need. Here's your work product. Comes out pretty good. If it was, well, just go out and try this, or maybe let's try that, or, you know, maybe we'll do this today. And there wasn't that clear direction. Your, your product wouldn't be anywhere near as good. You know, and, and it's no different running a college basketball program. They've made it very clear what they expect from these guys. They've made it very clear in terms of how they want them to function on the floor as a unit. They settled on a starting five very early. You could see that happening in the preseason. You've got veteran guys coming off the bench, Malik Martin and Antoine Walker, who have bought into their roles very clearly. Uh, Malik Martin the other night was a plus 18 in the first half in 10 minutes defending like crazy, befitting of his last name, mm-hmm. uh, with, with what he's done in that program. Um, you know, and I, I just see URI as, as someone who is difficult to play against right now, who has a good amount of length inside. Uh, you mentioned Elamine, the three-pointer he makes in the right corner with about four minutes left with, with URI wobbling a little bit against BC. It was similar to the three-pointer he made late against Boston University in the opener. Um, that's a guy who only took eight shots the other night. Had 12 points. Was very efficient. Um, their guards make their free throws. You know, Ish Leggett had a little struggle the other night. What a concept. But uh, <laughs> for the most part, free throws. If, if you have Shepard, Elamine, and Leggett going to the line late in games, they're going to be able to shoot a game out, which is a very comfortable, comforting feeling if you're a head coach um you know and i i look at uri and, and i think about the way they've played so far and they go into the sunshine slam this weekend they play tulsa first game they're going to be a short favorite in that one four or five points give or take what you really want is to play utah in the second game uh you do not want to see boston college again you'd like to play against utah uh that's a top hundred game in Ken Palm. Uh, you're playing against Craig Smith, who is a new coach there, uh, was at Utah State previously, uh, would have had Utah State in three NCAA tournaments had the 2019-20 version not been canceled. He made the NCAA tournament in his other two years at Utah State. So a good coach with a good track record. Won a lot of games at South Dakota before that. Uh, was 26-9 and his last year at South Dakota in, in the Summit. Did he get them to the NCAA tournament? He did not. Okay. He did not. They okay. fell short uh, in the conference tournament that year to South Dakota State, which was a big rivalry game okay. and really uh, a bitter defeat in, in that one. But yeah. you'd like to play Utah on Sunday at the Sunshine Slam. That's a Pac-12 opponent. Normally you wouldn't get them on the schedule. It'd be a chance for potentially a Quadrant 1 win on a neutral floor. That'd be nice. Um, you know, So that's why you're making the trip to play that game. You have to take care of Tulsa first. That's on Saturday. Uh, Tulsa, obviously, veteran head coach and Frank Haith. 
They're off to a two and one start. Uh, a loss, one point loss at home to Air Force, followed up by a win over Oregon State at mm. home. Oregon State was an Elite Eight team last year. Mm. Yeah, they were close. Yeah, Under yeah, Wayne yeah. Tinkle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say they they made a surprise run. Yeah. To the Elite Eight. In fact, they did, and they lost to Houston, who went right. the Final Four. Right. Um, they were in the Illinois bracket, which undid me. So I think I had Illinois in, in the I championship game. Yeah, I did too. Uh, Loyola Chicago. Uh, <laughs> Loyola Chicago said, no, Bill, you're not winning your pool this year. Welcome to the A-10, uh, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Big news, uh, obviously, with Loyola Chicago coming to the A-10. Uh, we, we will hit on that in a minute. But, sure. um, you know, Coit, just thoughts on the Sunshine Slam. Obviously, Tulsa's the game you need to take care of. You'd like to see Utah in that second one. Um, a three-game Florida swing for the Rams. They will play Florida Gulf, uh, Florida Gulf Coast as well on Tuesday. Um, you know, but certainly, if you win Saturday, you set yourself up for one of those opportunity games that, that we've talked about frequently on the pod. This is why you put them on your schedule. This is why you go to certain places, go to certain tournaments. Like this is why you want to be there is is to have these types of opportunities. And so, if you can go take care of business, defend the way that you've been defending at home, take that with you on the road against Tulsa, then you have the opportunity to hopefully. And get to Utah and and get to to face them and again yeah get that kind of opportunity because you are we are focused on resume building again in college basketball which is nice by the way um, the reason I brought up and I asked about South Dakota mm-hmm. um, and with Coach Smith you said correct yeah Craig um, Smith yep so uh, I think it was when I was up in Maine I remember there was one year where I think it, it must have been maybe it was the year that South Dakota or South Dakota State made the NCAA tournament. Um, and it was the 49th state to make the tournament. Do you know the one state that's never had a team in the NCAA tournament, Bill? A little trivia here for you. Wow, good question. Uh, it's not Hawaii. <laughs> nope. I know they've made it. They've made it. I think they beat Cal when Cal had Jalen Brown, mm-hmm. if memory serves. Okay. Is it North Dakota? Uh, no, they've no. made it, haven't they? No, they've made it. Or maybe, yeah, maybe it was North Dakota that made it at the time. It was one of the Dakotas that had made it at the time when I was working. And one that hadn't? And there was this, this one state that has now not made the NCAA tournament. I have no idea. It was the place I was working. In Maine. Maine. Ah. It's one program. Makes sense. There's one program. Right. That's it. And they haven't made the NCAA tournament. Well, it's one of the toughest jobs in America. Oh, big time. So that makes sense. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it was I, just, I remember, <laughs> I was up there with my old, my buddy, our old sports director, man, Tim Throckmorton, wow. and he said, uh, yeah, it was, it was either North Dakota or South Dakota. I'll look that up. But it was one of the Dakotas made it, and he <laughs> went on the year that night and said, well, sorry, everybody. We're now the only state that's never oh. made the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Jeez, that, but that. I think it was the same year that Dr. John brought LaSalle to the to tournament. The 16? Yeah, and I... And, Obviously, up there, that was a nice thing because Dr. John coached at Maine. So that was sort of the way of following it, whatnot. But yeah, yeah Maine's never made him. Yeah, Dr. John Giannini, uh, I ran into him at uh, Big East Media Day. And Dr. John said, I had two of the toughest jobs in the country back-to-back, Maine and LaSalle. He did great with Maine. He's absolutely right. Yeah. He was a 500 coach at Maine, which doesn't sound like much. It's big up there. L- look at what happened at the rest of Maine yeah. in, in their program. It's a really difficult place to win. It's really tough. Um, Bob Walsh, who, who is currently on staff at Providence, who we both know very well. Bob Walsh won a lot at Rhode Island College. Bob Walsh is a really sharp basketball mind. Oh, yeah. He struggled to win games at Maine. Yeah. So that tells you how difficult a job that is. That was less a reflection on Bob and more a reflection on the 
program there. And keeping the talent up there. That's really Keeping cool. the talent up there. I know. I brought up Maine a lot on this podcast so far. It's okay. Your roots run deep. Fun. I know. It's, it's a nice place. <laughs> yeah. uh, vacation land, correct? I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. way life should be. Yeah. Uh, State of Maine. Very good. Yep. Um, I am partial to the coast, of course, and mm-hmm. to Portland, which is a beautiful oh, town uh, if you need a, a weekend away. Love Portland. Uh, Coy, you mentioned Loyola Chicago. A, a surprise announcement to me, anyway. Uh, a very stealthy swoop by the Atlantic 10 to bring in the Ramblers uh, as the 15th member of the, the conference. They will join the league next season for 2022-23 in all sports. Uh, obviously, Loyola Chicago making the Final Four in 2018. Uh, a Cinderella run from an 11 seed with Porter Moser, who is now at Oklahoma. Uh, they were in the Sweet 16 last season after upsetting Illinois uh, in the second round. Uh, Illinois was a one seed. I think they were the they were the second overall seed in the field behind Gonzaga. Well, they were, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think. Okay, had a, had a great year with Io Dusunu mm-hmm. and and Kofi Coburn. Um, you know, it was a really tough team and and. Loyola, popular pick. Yeah, popular Loyola pick Chicago the took them out. Yeah. Uh, now playing under Drew Valentine, who is a program alum. They are off to a three and zero start. Um, but Cody, I, I know in the I know in the release that the A10 sent out, um, this does a few things for the league. First, Loyola Chicago is a very strong academic school, uh, very strong men's basketball brand right now. You bring in Sister Jean, who who is just a darling. God of America. bless her. God bless that woman. Oh, uh, you know, just just a, a darling of America. Um, you know, but I, I think most importantly, and, and you can speak to this, Coit, as, as a media member and someone who's in television uh, particularly, you add a top five market to the Atlantic 10's footprint. You already had New York. You already had Washington, D.C. in the metro area. Now you add Chicago. Um, and with your TV contracts coming up in the mid-2020s, just speak to what sort of leverage that gives the A-10 in terms of positioning themselves going forward as a TV entity, a rights entity. Well, you just you want that kind of attention from these major cities, these major markets, and you obviously in the Atlantic Ten have a lot of that with Philadelphia, and that's and that's very important because there is a great basketball culture around that area. Um, but there's you see the reasoning too why, and Bill and I have discussed this before, you know, in and you have to consider all sports too because obviously we're we're sitting here talking about college basketball but when you talk about a school like how difficult has it been for Fordham oh you were going to go there i knew it here how we go how difficult has it been it's very difficult for the men's basketball program brutal but they have great other programs and sports like softball is a wagon women's basketball really good really good and academically they're excellent good school absolutely but with men's basketball the plus of that is the market and having the attention in New York City. And so bringing in the city of Chicago, why do you think in the Big East they enjoy having DePaul? Yes, DePaul has been it has been a tough job. Obviously they had they got that nice new arena. Uh, there's been some things that have been added to the program, but they just haven't gotten their feet off the ground. Nobody goes to the arena. Right, exactly. That's tough. But why do they have it? The market. It's Chicago. You get that kind of attention. And when DePaul gets out of the cellar of the Big East and goes on a run, they're going to get the attention of the Chicago market. And all of a sudden, the Big East is getting attention in Chicago. Just like when somebody picks up Fordham and and pushes them toward the top of the A-10, somehow, some way, <laughs> New York's going to pay some sort of attention to it. It's going to happen. Yeah. So 
That's why for and and it, especially a program right now that. You're adding Loyola Chicago, who has had the attention of the country. With right. The first thing that you think of is you say, Loyola Chicago's coming to Atlantic 10. Ah, Sister Jean's coming to Kingston. Let's take her to Muse Tavern. Like, well, we wouldn't do that, but. <laughs> we, we class it up a little. And, and we, we, we love our friends at Muse Tavern. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sister Jean, we, we might go to, like, Matuna Coyster. Okay, sure. All right. Almost. We'll go a little more classic. Or the Coast Guard house. Oh, right, right, right. A, l- right. a little more formal, nicer right. dinner. Or know. if we want something casual, a casual lunch in between, maybe we'll go to Gansett Wraps oh, or we'll something to, like we'll that. We'll go to know. Newport, maybe. Okay. A little, a little 22 <laughs> Bowens for Sister Jean, right? Maybe a little, little something like that. But the point is... You think of Sister Jean. You think of their run to the Final Four. Like there God, is God bless that. Yeah, woman. like this is the these are the things that you think of, and so to get that kind of attention on your conference, to get that kind of competition level in your conference. Yes, I think it's a great, great thing. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's a type of proactive move that you like to see conferences make. Um, I also like the fact that that it was done in in such a stealthy fashion. Yeah, uh, you know, so often you see these conversations go on and on and on, and they drag out in public. And who are we going to ask? And who are we going to subtract? And oh, you mean like James Madison football? In oh, the CAA? goodness, that's ugly. Yikes! Uh, you know, and, and so to see something like this and to have the A10 announce it, and um, I was talking with a couple sources at URI who, who were not involved in the talks. Uh, you know, and they said, "Yeah, we didn't know what we didn't know this was happening." Uh, you know, Great. so very, very good acquisition by Bernadette McGlade and, and the folks in the A10 office. So my question would be: so that brings the A10 to fifteen? Yes. They're probably going to want to get an even number, right? Potentially. That means either addition or subtraction. I can't imagine there's going to be subtraction. So, addition, where will they turn? Well, I mean, the you know, the teams that you hear the most out of the A-10 fans, obviously the, the romantic notion is Temple. Temple. Um, you know, Temple, it's just not working in the AAC. They, they are not good in terms of basketball. They haven't been who they were previously in the A-10. Um, you know, the AAC is, is one of these football conferences right now that's being raided. There's a lot of turbulence there. Uh, with the Big 12 sort of collapsing here, what's going to happen with the AAC? What's going to happen with the Mountain West? Uh, what's going to happen with the Sun Belt and, and some other leagues? Uh, you know, so you're curious how the AAC makes out in all this. Um, right. You know, another school that comes up all the time is Wichita State, mm-hmm. um, which does not have major football, but does have major basketball. Um, you know, could be a little bit of a partner for Dayton, for St. Louis. Um, now for Loyola Chicago, another regional team that they could play. I get it. Kansas is, is far west of them, uh, but still closer than Davidson, closer than yeah. the D.C. schools. You know, you might be able to say all right, we go to 16, and here's an East, and here's a West, and you play you know, everyone in your division twice and everyone in the other division once, um, you know, and somehow you end up at 20 games, yeah. whatever it may be, uh, you know, and that's our conference schedule. And, and you, you get 11 non-conference, and you're at 31, and that's your number, um, and you play it out. And, and if you're in the West, if you're in the West, you'd have a tough time. I mean, you're talking yeah. St. Louis – Dayton, yeah. Wichita State, and Loyola, Chicago, all in the same division. <laughs> That's fun. Ooh. That's fun. Rough. It's a good conference. I mean, if, if you're one of the Eastern teams, like, I guess you'd put St. Bonaventure in there. Like, that, ooh, that would be wow, rough. Wow, that's really tough. That'd be a rough, yeah, rough division but for it, seven or eight teams. If you're Rhode Island, you look at it and you say, okay, if that's the format that you were to take, you're in the East Division, Wichita State's in the West. You make the trip to Wichita, to Wichita State every other year? Yeah, every other year. That's not bad. No, not at all. Not bad at all. Not at all. 
No, and 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 we've seen more unwieldy conference alignments than than that. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly the the Mountain West and the American are, are just they're spread all over the nation. Yeah, um, you know, so who knows? Conference realignment, an ongoing story. It, it never ends. No, uh, something we could talk about on every pod. Uh, we we only really like to do it when it affects one of our schools, and and in this case, you bring in Loyola Chicago. That that's a big ad for the A10. Uh, Coity, before we move on from your Rye, uh, I'd like to spare a moment for Ryan Preston, uh, the former Rams forward uh, who passed away earlier this week due to a car accident in Bahrain. Uh, he was 24 years old, um, which obviously is is far too young uh, to leave us um, played on the 2017-18 team that won the A-10 regular season title uh, the first URI team to win an outright A-10 regular season title in men's basketball uh, played the following year for the Rams David Cox's first as a head coach um, was a junior college transfer out of Trinity Trinity Valley I believe in Texas uh, Brooklyn native, uh, was playing overseas, played in Portugal, and, and was playing professionally in Bahrain this year. Um, obviously news that, that really hit URI hard, David Cox in particular. Um, you know, he was emotional on Tuesday when he spoke with us before practice. Uh, Jared Terrell was at the game Wednesday night. One of Preston's former teammates um, sent a couple text messages to David Cox and, and said, you know, Coach, I'm going to be there for you tomorrow. Um, and was sitting baseline extended with Thor Bjorn. He, he got a big ovation when he was introduced, and, and rightly so. Um, you know, but Coity, just uh, obviously a, a, a difficult few days at URI uh, and something that, that you just don't like to contemplate when, when somebody that young leaves us. That's horrible. And, and somebody that had really gotten himself on uh, a great path, a great trajectory, because Ryan coming here, and, and I think, Bill, you had asked uh, Coach Cox this at the practice before the BC game. You said it uh, the way I thought it was well put. Like, it, it wasn't always smooth with Ryan. You know, he had his ups and downs, and they had to work with Ryan a lot. But Ryan worked hard himself, and together they helped, you know, make him into a success for the program. He graduated. And he went to play professionally, you know, and he was uh, a role guy in the program here. And then he gets himself a degree and, and goes and plays professionally. That's a that's a pretty big deal for a guy that, you know, Coach Cox said, you know, he didn't have the smoothest of, of upbringings either. No. So it, it's really, it's tragic that somebody like that who had really worked hard to get to where he was, you know, it, it just, it's a tragic happening, you know, where it happened and... You know, I you know my heart breaks for his family and um, you know those who knew him and his teammates. Obviously, had a deep respect for him and deep admiration. And um, you know, Coach Cox spoke eloquently about him and um, you know just his recruit. He told that great story about his recruitment with Dan Hurley and how you know Ryan came in and told them things that he probably <laughs> probably shouldn't say. You mm. know about his upbringing and where he came from and yeah. the two of them. Credit to Coach Cox and Coach Hurley. They looked at it and they said, "Wow, you know." And this kid wants to come and play for our program. Let's let's bring him in and let's let's help him get to where he wants to go to. Right. And you know, uh, it's it's sad. It's really sad. You know, say what you will about David Cox, the basketball coach. I, I think 
uh, we've been pretty unanimous on this podcast uh, that David Cox is a profoundly good man. Yep. Um, somebody who you would want representing your university and, and coaching your basketball team in terms of the way he's going to mold young men. Uh, and, and I wasn't necessarily surprised by his reaction to this. Um, you know, I, I think he, he forms relationships with his players that, that go beyond coach-player. Um, I think he, he sees a little bit of himself in some of these guys. Um, you know, might see them traveling a certain path that, that he did. Um, you know, when he got out of Washington, D.C. and ended up playing at William & Mary and went into education after that and, and ended up making a career out of basketball, I, I think that's – I think he can see himself reflected in, in some of these guys uh, that he's coaching now or has coached before. Uh, you know, and I, I certainly think that – it wasn't any big surprise that, that he was affected like this, uh, you know. And obviously, URI is going to dedicate the season to to Ryan. Uh, you know, they're going to have strips across the right shoulders of their jerseys with with his initials on there. Um, you know, and and I'm sure that they're going to be doing a lot more talking about him uh, in the days and weeks and months to come. Uh, URI is back on the floor, as we said this weekend at the Sunshine Slam in Daytona. They will have some local company uh, with Bryant also in Daytona, playing in a different part of the bracket uh, in the Sunshine Slam. Uh, Bryant will play Bethune-Cookman on Saturday. Uh, Bryant in an interesting spot here, Coity. Um, you know, coming off a loss at Clemson, 93-70. Uh, got Peter Kiss back to make his season debut. He was sensational at times. Uh, had 24 points and, and 8 rebounds. Um, you know, it was 10 for 20 from the field. He, he played as you would expect. Uh, but the rest of Bryant's team looked a little sick, quite frankly. Uh, Jared Grasso said afterwards that they're dealing with some flu and, and some strep throat. And uh, He sounded like they were dealing with some flu and some strep throat. He didn't sound good himself. Mm. Uh, you know, had some guys who didn't necessarily play the way you might expect them to. Charles Pride was 2 for 10 in that game. Hall Elijah's had 4 points. Adam Alita did not score in 18 minutes. Um you know, so, Coity, I, I look at Bryant, and, and obviously their schedule being what it was, we knew it was going to be a challenge early. Uh, we knew going to Rhode Island it was going to be an interesting game and an opportunity for them maybe to make a statement. They faded a bit in the second half. Uh, this Clemson game, they were in it in the first half, faded a bit in the second half. Um, you know, and, and Jared the other night, post game, saying, I don't have a great feel for my team right now. I don't necessarily know what my rotation is or how my pieces fit. I, I thought he was remarkably candid uh, in that Zoom interview. He, he sounded and looked like a coach who was searching a little bit for, for something. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder just what sort of opportunity Bethune-Cookman, who, who is not necessarily a good team, Bryant will be a double-digit favorite in that game. I wonder what sort of opportunity that will give Bryant just to generate a little bit of confidence and, and sort of get going here again a little bit. Yeah, they, they do need one of those games where you know they, they can go out there, get some confidence back, get some health back. I, I, I really, the way that, that, that Jared sounded the other night, it, it really sounded like these guys have been dealing with a heck of a time with, with illness and sickness. He was talking about how they had to wait in line for you know hours trying to get into you know minute clinic and you know urgent care and whatnot. And so it, it's, I think it has had an obvious effect on, on the player. So hopefully they've been able to take this week to sort of get healthier, um, rest up a little bit. And, and hopefully they can get their legs back under them. I, I really think, you know, I don't know about the Rhode Island game. 
But the Clemson game, I think they fit in the second half because of that. I, I think they've been dealing with that. and Because the guy that looked like his hair was on fire was Kiss. And he didn't really, and maybe he has been dealing with something, but I don't think he has. It doesn't look like it. you know. And he looked like the one guy that was out there that had his, had his legs, had everything going. So, um, But you're right. We talk about roles with URI and establishing those things. I, I think... You know, maybe not having Kiss on the floor for the first couple of games and Childs not for the first game has not allowed them to settle into their rotation, what they want to do, that sort of thing. And, you know, having to play up games against Clemson and, and against Rhode Island doesn't allow you to you know, really search for that. We Maybe you're just trying to get what see what works and, and you know, stick with it to try to stay in the game. So, um, you know, hopefully they can find a little bit of consistency, especially at the guard position. I think, you know, not uh, the loss of, of, of green is, is, you know, it's big. Uh, it, it, it was a, you know, all conference player for you. So, and your point card. Yeah. So figuring yeah. out who's running the show, um, maybe that's part of their search, uh, and who can do that consistently for you. So, um, you know, hopefully they'll have a chance to do that in, in Daytona. To your point, Coity, uh, only one player the other night for Bryant played more than 26 minutes. That that was Kiss. Um, but you had 10 players in double-digit minutes. Does that mean that you're searching? Does that mean that guys couldn't play major minutes because they were sick and, and not feeling good? Um, you tend to be more tired on the defensive end for, for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, Clemson was 10 for 18 from three and only committed seven turnovers. Mm. Bryant wasn't exactly digging in at that end of the floor. If, if those two numbers are, are any sort of suggestion, you give up 93 points, 1.35 points per possession. I mean, that's just a disaster. Like so, you're, you're just getting run over. So I think it's maybe a little bit of both. It's health both. And, and searching for you know guys to really grab the roles that you want them to grab. And so you know Bryant finds itself, I think, with a good opportunity playing Bethune-Cookman um, you know, probably the the weakest team on their schedule. Uh, you know, until they host Dartmouth on the twenty eighth. Because you come back, you play Brown on Black Friday. That's going to be a really good game. It's a really good game. You play Dartmouth, then you go to Houston, who was in the Final Four last year. They're kind of good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then you go to Cincinnati uh, on that same road trip. That's a top hundred game. So these are a couple games where, literally and figuratively, Bryant needs to get well. Yeah, here in Daytona, um, you know these will be two critical games for them just to get back on their feet. Uh, you know, maybe build towards something that we expected them to look like. Uh, you know, I certainly think the pieces are there. It's just a matter of whether or not they can get healthy and, and find some continuity. Uh, you know, and I'd, I'd be interested to see what happens in those couple games this weekend. Uh, you know, we have Brown also playing in tropical locales here. Uh, the Bears at the Paradise Jam, uh, they're actually playing Creighton Friday afternoon. They will tip off before you folks listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, against Creighton, obviously, a, a test against a Big East opponent. Uh, Brown has played two Division three teams, a rebuilding Central Connecticut, and a major up game at North Carolina, a game in which they were competitive throughout last Friday, 94-87 loss. Uh, Coity, I, I got to see Brown for the first time in person the other night against Johnson & Wales. I think it was a Tuesday. First time in about 20 months I, I had seen the Bears in person. Uh, I know you've seen them a little more than me. I was struck with how physically representative they are. At each position, th- this team has more depth, more explosiveness, and... Um, 
more guys who I think could play for other schools than I've seen previously on a Brown team. I, I, I think that was my first reaction, my visceral takeaway from that. The word that you used that I look at and I say, this is why Mike Martin and the staff are uh, excited about this team and really think this team can do well when it comes to conference play and really make a push in the Ivy League. Depth. It's depth. Because I think Brown has had guys before that are talented players, are players that can play really well in the conference, that can lead you to being competitive uh, where you want to be. But it's the depth. It's the guys behind, you know, Tamanong Cho. It's the guys behind Jalen Gady. It's the Nana Owusu Ananes that are going to, to help you. Like, that's a kid that I look at and I say, wow, they can go to the bench and go to this young man and he can give you, you know, representative play, you know, after... You know, Tamanang Cho, who Cho hasn't played. He hasn't been playing because he's dealing with a hip injury. Yep. So having a guy like that has you haven't you haven't totally lost a step, which is a good thing. That means you have depth. At the guard position, that was one of the big question marks that we had going in was okay, who's going to step forward for you? We didn't really know because we haven't seen them in, as you said, Bill, twenty months. So far, Dan Friday had a great game at UNC. Mm-hmm. Looked like a guy that is stepping into, you know, a lead dog role at the guard position. But not only Dan, a young man like Keno Lilly comes in and he wins Ivy League rookie of the week mm-hmm. because he comes in, he makes some big shots against Central Connecticut and you can see that these guys have bought in defensively too. Um, and I think that that's obviously really important, especially, again, at the, at the guard position. You have guys that are going to protect the rim. Jalen Ganey is, who, by the way, after a few games, I think has really, he's starting to look healthy and look like the Jalen Ganey that they would expect him to be, which is dangerous for the rest of the Ivy League. Missed most of the preseason with a hamstring injury, so you might have expected him to take a couple games to get going. But I think he's starting and he's there to get going. Yeah. Um, but I, I look at you know, the way that they're playing. You have a David Mitchell who we brought up who can play really well for you defensively. And you have these guys like a I keep pointing to to Kimo Ferrari, a guy that comes off your bench, but but Bill, he's a gnat. He's a gnat. He just digs in on you. He's flying all over the floor. And when you have guys like that coming off your bench, not only do you have depth, but you have guys that can can energize you know, the starting five and the guys that, that start out the game, which, you know, I think for a couple of these games, it's it's really sparked what they want to do. That Central Connecticut game was was competitive into the second half, and then you're getting stops and you're making shots. The defense leads to the offense, and then they pulled away in that game. And, um, you know, the D3 games are the D3 games, but you want to see those ser- sorts of things and guys buying in, and uh, I think we've seen that with the depth that they have. Yeah, to me, Central Connecticut was a little bit of a hangover game. You just gone to North Carolina. Yeah, Central Connecticut has a new coach. They're going to be playing hard every night because they have a new coach. Uh, Brown's sort of looking at it thinking, hey, we were just in Chapel Hill. We're playing Central Connecticut at home. Like, how does this compare? Not really at all. Right. Uh, we're not very excited. But you turn it on in the second half and you just have more talent than they do and it works. I go back to the North Carolina game, Coyote, and I, I think you make an excellent point. And it was something that I thought about this morning. Brown, in a given year previously, might have needed a certain three guys to play well for them to win a game. Right. Um, and if, if that didn't happen, if you didn't have a certain three guys play well to win a game, they would lose. 
right now I look at their roster and I look at what Owasu Anane did at North Carolina with 20 points and 8 rebounds. I look at what Dan Friday did at North Carolina with 21 points. And I think, okay, here are two other difference makers. Now your ceiling is raised. Mm-hmm. It's not just going to be Paxson Wojcik and Jalen Ganey and David Mitchell and Tamanong Cho. Hopefully when he comes back healthy, he's battling a hip injury. It's not just going to be Keno Lilly and some other guys. You're adding people who can carry you over the line in a given game. If they're playing this way against North Carolina, they can certainly play that way against Ivy League opponents. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're Mike Martin and you're looking at your roster, you're thinking, okay, I have more difference makers, not just more options, not just more guys who can play minutes, but more difference makers. The, these guys are a mystery to me until I saw them the other night. I wrote down their rotation on, on a place card here, and I'm thinking back to our preseason pods and who I actually thought was going to play <laughs> and now who's actually playing. Yeah. <laughs> and the first three subs off the bench are, are guys I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes to Keno Lilly, who's, who's a freshman, obviously, who's the Ivy League Rookie of the Week. Aaron Cooley, freshman. Kimo Ferrari, sophomore, but who is in his second year of school, did not play last year. And I'm thinking, wait, where, where's Perry Cohen? Where's Josh Watts? Yeah. You know, what's going on here? If they've recruited guys who are better than what they already had here, I mean, that raises your ceiling. You you look at Owasu Anane and, and you look at his other suitors. He's a Canadian native, played at Vermont Academy, which is a very powerful prep program. My cousin went to Vermont Academy uh, in his place. Under Alex Pop for a long time. Yep. Was a three-star recruit. He had other offers from BU, Duquesne, Hofstra, East Carolina, College of Charleston, Towson. He could play in other places besides the Ivy League. Mm -hmm. He chose Brown. That's a big recruiting win for the Bears. Um, And someone who has made you miss Ticho a little less here early on. He looks a little bit like Jalen Ganey out there. You put two Jalen Ganeys out there, you're going to be pretty competitive in the front court. (laughs) Um, You know, so I look at Brown and, and I just think, I'm very impressed with, with what I've seen so far. I'm impressed with, with their efficiency on offense. They're shooting the three very well. They're not turning the ball over much at all. Um, you know, I look at them playing against Creighton. I, I know they're a double-digit dog in that game, but if you can play up like they did the other night against North Carolina, there is no reason that they can't be competitive with every team on their schedule going forward. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's uh, And it makes for – it just it, – <laughs> Like you said, Bill, like we, we weren't sure, okay, what's going to be. We knew that they had Cho. We knew that they had Ganey, but we didn't know what was behind them or who was going to step forward or whatnot because we didn't see them last year. All of a sudden, you look at it and you say, well, they know what they have, and there's a lot there. And that's a that's an exciting thing if you're Brown. Now you know why Mike Martin and his staff were really bullish on this team because – like you said, they've recruited really well, and they have a lot of guys that they can they can bring in. By the way, that was a nice, like I said, Vermont Academy. Shout out Saxton's River, Vermont. You ever been up there? No. Nice little place. Got to be right. Yeah, my my uh, I have family up in in uh, in Bellows Falls, which is right next door. So oh, yeah, nice place. Oh well, yeah, I like it. Nice getaway. Ever been to uh, ever been to Burlington? Uh when I was younger. It's been a long time. Go when you're older. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Burlington is quite the town. Yeah, sure. Uh, Church Street, 
everybody watch out on mm-hmm. Church Street. Yep. Oh, and also Montreal is an hour north. Ah, well, that's dangerous. I have been. I was in Montreal when I was older. Yeah, that's one of right. my favorite cities in the world. Oh yeah, it is mm-hmm. by far. And yeah. I've been to a lot of places. Montreal yeah. is stunning. I remember a lot of that trip. Or do I? Anyways, <laughs> I remember a couple parts of my my Montreal trip better than some others, uh, and, and it is a glorious mayor. Uh, I've been twice. Once was a bachelor party. Uh, American money was worth a lot more than Canadian money during that trip. Uh, it was good. Yeah. 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 If I live like six months less on the back end of my life, <laughs> part of it's going to be because that. of Montreal. Oh, yeah. No question. <laughs> So those two or three nights uh, oh, on St. Catherine Street, my goodness! Yikes! Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Want to round this thing out with the Friars? Yeah, we're gonna go from Montreal to Newark. I mean, talk about a <laughs> talk about a downturn. Sorry, Newark, but uh, you know that is where the Friars will find themselves at the start of next week, and that's where I will be as well. Uh, I will oh, be on God, the road nice. with Providence. Fun uh, for Monday and Tuesday. It, it'll be nice, uh, you know, to get back out. To the Prudential Center, which is a beautiful building right downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Friars will be taking part in the Legends Classic, uh, and they will go in 4-0. Uh, you know, Providence is, is off to a very good start here. Um, their most recent win, 69-58 over New Hampshire on Wednesday night. Thursday night, sorry. All these nights run together. Uh, Thursday night at the Dunk. Uh, one decisive run in the second half, Coity. Uh, it was a 43-43 game. Fifth tie of the evening. Providence goes on a 12-0 run. New Hampshire goes without scoring for 6-47. And that's the game. Um, you know, you look at Providence and you look at what they did earlier in the week, winning at Wisconsin. Uh, you tweeted out a Cooley win. I, I think it was a good observation on your part. Uh, it was very much the sort of trademark victory under Ed that we've seen in his time here. Uh, gritty, tough, you beat them on the glass, you defended, um, you, know, you sort of had bigger muscles than they did. Uh, you know, and it, and it carried over against New Hampshire, a team that Providence has a lot more talent than, a team who they bullied in the paint, outscored them 40-24 inside. Uh, you would expect them to be able to do that. They have bigger, stronger, more talented players. But right. just for Providence to this point, to have taken care of business, to be 4-0, you know, we look back at their most recent team that would have been in the NCAA tournament in 2019-20, and, and we were talking about this before the pod. They lost at Northwestern. They lost to Penn. They lost to Long Beach State. They lost to Charleston. They lost at Rhode Island. Nothing suggested that they were going to win eight out of the last ten in the Big East <laughs> in, in the last six when you're sitting there at four and four and you go for California. Um, you know, So for Providence to get off to this kind of start, and yes, it hasn't been all smooth sailing in all these games, but the bottom line is they are 4-0. They've shown some ability here, some ceiling here, some guys who have settled in a little bit into this rotation pretty quickly. Um, and they look like a team that, that could do something going forward here in the next few months. It's important to take care of these games, and they have. And I know that the first couple weren't, weren't pretty with Fairfield and Sacred Heart and um, yeah, the, the Sacred Heart game ended up being the uh, the Drew Fonts game because when Ed is ticked off, he goes to Drew and Drew comes in and gives you a you know six minutes of all out effort, uh, which is a, a great credit to Drew, um, the type of kid that he is and how hard he works, um, you know. But he he wanted to to see more out of his his regular rotation guys, and um, I think you got 
a, a great effort at, at Wisconsin, obviously with the win, and, and that was a. It was nice to see that early in the season. Um, for them to pull off that kind of victory because that is the sort of February at Villanova type win that they can pull off. But at the same time, it is important to take care of these games at home against New Hampshire, against these programs that, you know, yes, you're still figuring things out and that's that's okay. It's November. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you got to win these games too because otherwise people are going to look at your resume and go, ooh, that's not good. And you're going to have to – you're going to have to – you put the pressure on yourself to beat the ranked teams in the Big East that come in in February. That's why that, that work that they had to do to get back to being a tournament team, you know, two seasons ago – they had to do that in order to get back in that conversation because of those. And they figure things out um, in November. This is, I think this is, I said to Bill, okay, I know Friar fans, it can be frustrating in November to see them, you know, struggle a little bit against Fairfield, but I'm not going to totally judge an Ed Cooley team until we get to February, March, because it's very much like, you know, I don't want to. Ed Ed wouldn't want me comparing him to Bill Belichick, but I don't want to compare him. Like, but it's the Belichick. Oh no, Ed would love that. I know. He, of course, he's a big he Patriots fan. I Ed, know. Ed would love. I that. I know. But I'm saying, like the 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 model of beginning of the season, we're figuring things out after the first month to whatever. My guys need to improve. If they keep improving, if that steady progress is being made sure. by February, March, we're playing our best basketball. Right. And that's when we want to be playing our best basketball. We've seen that with Ed Cooley teams in the past. And the teams that haven't done well are the teams that in February have been inconsistent. I think we saw a little bit of that last year with this sure. squad. It was a little bit inconsistent. They didn't make that steady. And maybe part of it is just the pandemic season. But, um, you know, those those great teams that Ed has had have improved as we've gone along and have had their struggles in November. So I'm not going to totally judge them yet, but it is good to see them taking care of these games and showing those signs of, okay, we know when we are at our best what this team can do, what this team needs to do to win, and I think you saw the flash of that with the Wisconsin win. Right. Wisconsin doesn't mean anything if you lose to New Hampshire. If yeah. you just give it back and, and you say we have a one-in-one week, well, you just neutralized what you did. Yeah. Wisconsin had a 23-game non-conference home winning streak at Cole Center, a very difficult place to go. Providence out-rebounds them. They crushed them on second-chance points. They hold them to 5-for-27 from three. Aside from Brad Davidson, they were 2-for-16. Uh, so good perimeter defense by the Friars. That's something that when Ed's teams have been good, that's something that they've done very well is guard the three-point line. Well, and off, you said it, rebounding. Offensive rebounds, it's so big for them. Second chances. Because if you're going to win a game 63-58, to 58, you need to have those. 12 offensive rebounds in that game. Four of them by A.J. Reeves, who I thought made a very mature contribution yes, in that did. way. His shot was not falling early. But he got to work on the glass. He had eight boards in this game. I think he played like an older player. He played like someone who has been in some high-level games. He applied himself in other areas of the box score, and then he made some big threes late in the second half. I don't think that's a coincidence. Mm -mm. I think there's a way to play yourself into these games sometimes when your shot isn't falling, and I think it's through the other areas in the box score, whether it's rebounding or defending or trying to get the ball to the rim in some way. Um, and, and I see that from Reeves as, as growth, uh, you know, and I think that's really important in terms of Providence going forward. Uh, Nate Watson, obviously, the other night, leading scorer with 24 points. He did not take a shot the last eight minutes, which I wouldn't necessarily prescribe to Providence <laughs> going forward. I think Ed had realized that 
in his post-game press conference, I think he said as much, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, he, he wasn't necessarily thrilled that, that we brought it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know. uh, but it is, it is a, legitimate, uh, sure. a, a legitimate question. Yep. Uh, you know, yes, Wisconsin changed her defense and, and uh, you know, did some things a little differently down the stretch, but that's a guy you got to find. Got to get him touches. You, you just have to. You at least get him touches. you got to get him some yeah, touches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I look at New Hampshire, Coity, and... Um, you know, I see some things in the box score in New Hampshire. Uh, the two transfers played a huge role in this game. Al Durham and Justin Nanaya. I, I thought, respectively, they, they both played their best games as a friar uh, to this point. And, Particularly and Manaya. Obviously, it's early. Um, but Durham, 19 points, 6 for 7 from 2, 7 for 7 from the line, 3 assists, no turnovers in 33 minutes. You can't get much more efficient than that. Uh, really, really good from him. He was good in the second half. Uh, Manaya, 8 points, 10 rebounds in 33 minutes. And, and I think he very much functioned in a role that you described before the season, in our preseason pods. You saw Manaya as someone who could come in, who could be a dirty work, launch pail guy, sort of fill that gap between the forwards and the guards. Uh, someone who would defend, bring a little energy, maybe rebound above his size, uh, you know, maybe make a shot every once in a while, get to the rim every once in a while. I think he's pretty much played exactly the way you described to this point. Bing bong. <laughs> Score one for Nick Coy, folks. No, really, I, I, think, I think you nailed it. And, and I think uh, against New Hampshire was probably the best illustration of, of what he can give them. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm, that's that's a great thing for the Friars. If that's the way that if that's going to be his contribution, you could just sort of see that that role for him. Um, and that was the, hey to see it on display like that. If they can get that when February March comes around when they're trying to play their best basketball, then it bodes really really well um, because the more guys that they can get doing those sorts of things, the better it is for PC. Um, because clearly, I think you're going to get some, you're going to get your offense, and you're going to get all the things that you get from Nate Watson. Um, clearly, I think you're going to get the offense from Al Durham um, if he's going to be that efficient. Uh, you know, And, you know, that they had that Ian got this great angle of the, the flashy behind-the-back pass to, to Noah Horkler. Like, if he's going to be that kind of distributor, too, and setting guys up, that oof, that's going to be really nice, too. So, um, But it's those little things that a guy like Manaya can bring and can put together um, that are really going to help your basketball team, especially with what you want to do, which is crash the boards, get second chances, mm-hmm. set guys up for extra opportunities, and um, you know, play well defensively and hold teams, big teams like Wisconsin, down as much as you can. And I think that kind of thing can bode well for maybe a team or two that you'll see at the Legends Classic if you can get to one of the teams that I'm hinting at. Uh, could be a stiff test in your first one. You play Northwestern for the second time in three years. You lost out in Evanston a couple of years ago as part of the Gavit Games. Uh, Northwestern hasn't really played anyone. So far, but they are 4-0, and they have crushed all four opponents. Uh, Eastern Illinois, High Point, New Orleans, Fairleigh Dickinson. I understand. Not Murderer's Row. But you look at the way that they're beating these teams. Uh, New Orleans, they won by 16, and that's their smallest margin of victory to date. Uh, they have an assist on 68.9% of their field goals so far. That's fifth in the nation. Wow. So sharing the ball very well. Uh, top 10 in offensive turnover percentage. Only 13% of their possessions end in a turnover. So... Playing really well under Chris Collins early. Um, 
you know, type of team that, that you would expect to see, uh, you know, in a major conference. They have a lot of experience, uh, a lot of guys who played a lot of college basketball, um, you know, and, and I think you're, you're just going to see that throughout the season. Ed alluded to that a little bit, um, you know, after they played New Hampshire. He said, look, you know, normally you play these bye games and people think that we're going to win by 20 or 25. The sport as a whole is just older this year new hampshire started a grad student a couple seniors a couple juniors you know that's your rotation it's not a bunch of kids anymore you're not throwing 18 19 year olds out there as freshmen not in post pandemic not when everyone got a free covid year uh roster composition is completely different just look at providence yep. look at how old they are mm-hmm. uh, i mean really you've got guys who are 23 24 on that roster they they look i was talking to a, a pc staffer during the game last night uh michaela lee who, who was a great player at bayview who's, who's in their sports marketing operation and, and and she said they look a lot like the hockey team now yeah after um, playing juniors yeah, yeah you know yeah. You, you look at hockey players and you look at freshmen and they're all 20 and 21 and you know they graduate and if they haven't gone to the nhl they're 24 and 25 and, and she was exactly right yeah um you know and you look at providence and, and that's who they are and and you would expect you know northwestern to be similar they're a little older um you know a little more experienced a, a team that could give providence a hard time obviously if you win that game you want to get to the next one and you hope that it's virginia beating Georgia. Uh, Virginia obviously had a loss early to Navy. Um, and Navy is, is the type of team that if you make a bunch of threes against Virginia, that's that's really the only way to beat them because they play that pack line defense and they just do not allow you into the paint. They don't let you score at the rim. They play at a murderously slow tempo. You need to be incredibly patient uh, against them. You know they're going to have the fewest possessions in the nation in, in a given game. That, that's just who they've been under Tony Bennett. Um, you know, but you lose to Navy in the opener. They lost at Houston by twenty. Houston's very talented. Um, you know that that's going to be a team that can score against you, speed you up a little bit. Going to be difficult to play against them. Uh, Virginia plays Coppin State on Friday night, uh, and then they will go to Newark to play Georgia in their opener on Monday. Obviously, if you're Providence, you want to take care of Northwestern and you want to see the Cavaliers. It's going to be a top seventy-five-ish type game, um, a game that could be a quadrant one win or opportunity going forward. Uh, one that will really help your schedule. Uh, but you need to take care of business on Monday first. You do. You have to take care of business. And I don't want to get it. I was sort of hinting at Virginia was the team I was hinting at. And I, you don't want to get ahead of yourself because Northwestern is no slouch. Um, I hope and I'm I'm sure that uh, that Coach Cooley is reminding them of what happened at, you know, with Northwestern a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, so they do want to, I'm sure, pay them back a little bit. Um, so, you know, we'll see if they can slow them down. You know, Northwestern hasn't seen sort of maybe the caliber of team, caliber of team defense that you will see out of the Friars. Um, and if the Friars can bring that, that Wisconsin-type hard hat that they had um, with them to New Jersey, obviously that's going to bode well. And I would love to see Nate Watson against Virginia. I would love to see that. I think that's just, I think it's going to be ugly if they were to get there. But, man, that's a... Daddy, you want to talk about the grind of all grinds with college basketball? Yep. That could be a grind. Yep. You're going to have to win a game in the 50s there, most likely. Uh, oh. You know, but that that's the type of game that Providence won at Wisconsin. Yep. It's the type of game that Ed's Cooley's teams have embraced in the past. You you look at their road win at Villanova a couple years ago, which was 58-54, I think. Something like that, yeah. Uh, you know, you look at a road win they had at Creighton a few years ago where Chris Dunn sort of 
killed one off the uh, off the glass of the basket support, <laughs> and it sort of wilted into the into the bucket. Uh, you know, that was one of those games that was like in the forties and fifties, and you're just like, yeah. hideous. Yeah. But the result was a beautiful thing. Yep. And and Providence would take gladly take six and zero out of New Jersey next week. Uh, they'd have a little bit of a breather against St. Peter's, and and then go into a very difficult three-game stretch at home where you play Texas Tech, Rhode Island, Vermont. That's the meat of your non-conference schedule. Uh, Texas Tech just had Terrence Shannon cleared. Um, Saw that. So he will be back. That's an all-bit 12 type player, potential fringe All-American type player. Uh, will be back in the Red Raiders lineup for that December 1st game. Great. The Big East Big 12 battle. Great. Love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love to see that kind of talent come to the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Mm-hmm. You, you definitely want Providence to be challenged in that way. Um, Cody, got anything else? No, I think we've <laughs> we covered a lot of bases. I went I went all over New England, bringing up Maine and Vermont, and holy cow, we went to tropical we, destinations. We, we gave you some travel tips. Holy cow, we did. Told us told you to be careful when you go out in Montreal. You know, don't don't, don't be careful. Just enjoy it. <laughs> uh, you know, but don't enjoy it too much. Right. Uh, you know, the, the, those nights get away from you quick. <laughs> Up, uh, up north of the border yeah, with our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing about Montreal is is that they know that Americans are coming there with money to spend, and, and they embrace travel and tourism. And <laughs> come uh, on in. I was I've rarely felt more love <laughs> uh, at, at certain establishments, uh, which, which shall remain nameless. Yeah, it was uh, fun, but. Yeah. You folks can look those up in your own time. For sure. Um, Coity, as always, I, I thank you for coming in for the pod. Uh, Pleasure, pal. It's a good time, as always. Uh, and we wish everyone uh, an early happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we hope it's a, a great day with your families. Um, great day of, of food and football and college basketball, uh, which is heating up as we go into next week. Thank you all very much. <laughs>